0: to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe.
1: And I'm Brenna.
0: <laughs> and Brenna, I feel like we have special guest stars on this episode because... <laughs> <laughs>
1: So we are uh, socially isolating, obviously, as everyone should be in this particular time, Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: which means that coming to you live from my tiny home office is me and the Groot. And I just realized the cat, and I feel like he's definitely going to do something loud.
0: Cool. Okay. (laughs) 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 yeah and i have my husband brian working steadily away as quietly as possible on the other side of the room so really this is just like a big group session
1: we're all just doing our best right folks is everybody just doing their best yeah i have to say joe i've been so heartened to see people on twitter talking about how HKHS Pod has been a little bit of a a reprieve for them during this tumultuous ridiculous time and we're not going to talk about COVID-19 et cetera, because I want to respect that people find this space to be a little bit of an escape. But I just want to say, I I see you. I see you out there listening. And it just makes me really happy that we're producing something that's bringing some joy for people.
0: Yeah, that's basically the decision that I made for my other podcast as well, which was like, do we acknowledge the weirdness of the time? And it was kind of like, yes, let's do so tangentially. But also let's recognize that people need some escape right yes, now and they do. people need to be able to take a step back from some of the stark reality in which we find ourselves so if you want the news it's out there yeah but
1: yeah it's not going to be us
0: <laughs> no. no which is why we're we're going to spend the next 20 to 25 minutes talking about sexy times in young adult literature Brenna
1: <laughs> we sure are we are going to talk about why people get mad about sex in YA, uh, what has changed since the 70s when sex in YA was actually kind of not that big a deal in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways.
0: And a lot more frank.
1: And a lot more frank. uh, We're going to talk about how this all relates to the way perceptions of sex changed in the 80s around the AIDS crisis. It's just going to be a good time, Joe. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like I should provide a little bit of context. So one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this in addition to the fact that I think a couple of people casually mentioned it when they were sending us some emails.
1: Which is hkhspod at gmail.com.
0: <laughs> Correct. Don't take my job. <laughs> Sorry. Jeez. <laughs> I'm I'm desperately looking for ways to make money, so if I don't know, I'm kidding. <laughs> But it really became personal for me because I read a couple of books over the holiday break, which was 10,000 years ago.
1: Yeah, it was approximately 10,000 years ago. (laughs) Yeah,
0: but uh, I had some very different polarizing responses. So I had a couple of books that just seemed to have sex on the brain. Like Mm. the books themselves were not actually about sex, and yet everything in the books were about sex. And the way that sex was talked about was... I don't know, like I had a very polarizing reaction to it. So one of these was Cameron Garrett's Full Disclosure, which is about the teenage girl who has had to switch schools, she's HIV positive, but she's not comfortable disclosing because it ended up costing her her friends. And it's the reason she had to change schools. And... The main character is very much interested in whether or not she can have an active sex life because she starts casually dating someone. And, you know, it's all conversations about disclosing the status. I mean, she she needs to be transparent with this boy. But the whole book then becomes... Just these roundabout conversations where she's talking to her therapist, she's talking to her HIV positive group, she's talking to her two dads, and she's not talking to this boy, and it's just very all sex all the time.
1: Interesting.
0: And then I also read this other book, which I've not talked about before. So it's called Jack of Hearts by Lev A.C. Rosen. And it should be noted that Cameron Garrett is a... It's not an own voices, but she is a young Black author. uh, And she's writing a young Black character who just happens to be HIV positive. But she did a ton of research and she was like in the message boards. Like she was in the weeds with people really making sure that she got the story right. Right. Lev A.C. Roseman is a young gay man and he's writing about a young gay teenage boy in a private gossip girl style high school and they're both similar because it's about like people more or less getting blackmailed about the thing that they want to keep secret. Mm-hmm. And in this case, Jack is the main character, and he's got a reputation for being something of a slut at the school. So people constantly talk about his sex life, there's graffiti, there's blog posts, and he ends up getting asked by his best friend to write a sex advice column. And then he starts receiving letters that tell him, you need to stop writing this, or else I'm going to make your life miserable, and I'm going to torture you and do all these other Sort of terrible things, right? And full disclosure is very much: can I have sex? How do I have to talk about sex with the person I want to have sex with? Whereas Jack of Hearts is like, I'm going to use anatomically correct word choices, so it's filled with penises and talking about anal douching. And I was honestly shocked by (laughs) the graphicness. Yeah, you know, I read it and I thought, okay, is it that I'm prudish? Or is it that I'm an adult and I'm reading this book, which is talking about teenagers and their sexuality, and therefore I am mildly embarrassed? Or is it that I'm too used to something like, and I'm going to bring in my third example, I also got the chance to read Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuinston. Which you loved. Which I loved, but it's also very fantasy. Like, there's Mm. plenty of sex in that book, but it's very much... We fell into a closet, and I ripped open his shirt, and then three paragraphs later, it's we were lying in a sweaty mess, huffing and puffing. Wow, that was great. And you're thinking, (laughs) okay, so what happened there? It's so primarily fantasy, Hmm. and it's a romance, so it's very much use your imagination. God, that was a very long caveat, but... I essentially got thinking about the way that sex scenes in particular are written. And then, yeah, when you and I were thinking, how do we approach this? It's very much a rabbit hole. Like the way that sex is written for young adults has changed dramatically in the last two to three decades.
1: Yes, it has. And it's sort of changed and changed back a few times. So there's a really great article from the New York Times. It's called NYA, Where Has All the Good Sex Gone by Lizzie Skernick. It's from a couple I years read that ago. too. It's such a good article, right? Yeah. yeah. Cuz it gives you the history. Cuz I remember there were these books at the library. They were shelved with the other teen books, but like for some reason you could kind of <laughs> tell that you weren't supposed to actually check them out. Like you just read them right. in the library.
0: Yeah these are not the books that you can take home to mother because (laughs) they contain dirty bits.
1: And I'm thinking about like Forever by Judy Bloom. I'm thinking about Family Secrets by Norma Klein. Like these were books that had a lot of, a lot of sex in them and a lot of consequences of sex, right? Like so Forever's got a whole scene about like having to get a gonorrhea culture done. (laughs) (laughs) I remember in Norma Fox Mazer's books, it was really like, I don't know like the family was aware that teenage girls in particular because i read books about teenage girls like had sex it was it was normalized in a strange way and then we have this sort of era where i mean lindsay skernick in this article she makes somewhat of an argument that now that we're in this moment where ya is not written exclusively for teens because it is such a wide crossover market. Mm-hmm. that you end up with a lot of young adult romances that are sort of for the nostalgic benefit of adults as opposed right. to being for the sort of formative developmental use of teenagers.
0: Mm-hmm. Which I think is kind of dangerous. I
1: do too. I had never thought about it this way, but she was like, you know, if you're an adult and you're reading a teen sex scene and it's making you uncomfortable,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, it's because it's not for you. Exactly. <laughs> Right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) I should highlight, I definitely did struggle with Jack of Hearts. Like, there were so many times where I just, I honestly felt uncomfortable. But the parts of the book that actually work best are not the conventional blackmail narrative that's happening to this character. It's the extended excerpts of his column, which read like legitimate advice that I could see teenagers, it's very much conversations that teenagers would be having, questions that they would be having, like, okay, if I do want to experiment with anal sex with my same-sex partner or if I'm a girl, you know, like, what does that mean for me? And he actually gives you instructions on, like, this is what you can expect. This is why you would think about this. But the advice is always tailored in a... But also have a conversation. Be prepared. Things aren't going to go the way that you maybe expect them because this is real life. And I found that those were so compelling. Mm -hmm. And I could imagine teenagers reading that and being like, "Yeah, you know what? I did have that question, and I'm okay. kind of glad that I got this answer."
1: Yes, because I mean, surely that's the larger purpose, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I mean, at least in part, obviously, like why I should should entertain and should delight and do all of those things. Yeah, I wonder too if it has something to do with sales <laughs> and commercial viability, right? Because like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> We've talked a lot about how Harry Potter, as a cultural phenomenon, sort of changed the game. Mhm, and that, if you think about it, is an amazingly sexless series of books, considering it, it it's really is. about teenagers at boarding school, <laughs> right
0: I mean, unless you're thinking about something to do with that wand play, like there is that opening scene, I think, in the fifth movie adaptation where you see Harry using his wand under his sheets, and oh yeah. A lot of people were like, oh, I don't know what you're doing there. But in the books, it's yeah, non-existent. No.
1: It's totally non-existent. And it was so successful and so popular and it shaped so much of what came after that I sort of wonder if part of what is so easy to sell about Harry Potter is that there's a certain amount of nostalgia for a kind of childhood that is a lot harder to sell to adults if it involves sex, mm-hmm.
0: I think. Yeah, and I think we can extend that to the other big phenomenon in YA, which is, of course, Twilight, which is all by design because of the author and her religious beliefs. It's basically all about abstinence until marriage. So it's all about stretching out the tease. Mm -hmm. The idea of playing with sexuality but never indulging in it because the minute that you introduce sex into it, it suddenly becomes a very adult thing.
1: Yes. And then you
0: immediately get pregnant.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right? And that's very much a phenomenon that we can chart when we look at YA, like pre-AIDS, crisis and post-AIDS crisis, right, is like, if you think about, I don't know, think about like Greece, right? What's the worst thing that happens can happen to a Rizzo for being a girl who has a bad reputation, right? It's a pregnancy scare. That's the yeah. worst possible thing that can happen,
0: right? And then you gotta drop out of beauty school.
1: And exactly. And in the in a pre-1980s world, that was the worst case scenario. And so teen sex was fraught, but it was fraught in a really different way. Like parents didn't worry that their kids experimenting with sexuality would threaten their lives, right? Mm-hmm. And then that all changes in the 80s and into the early 90s when we finally get some mainstream discussion and some mainstream discourse around HIV AIDS and we, we get a, a broader understanding of the broader implications of the virus, then suddenly we have a lot of catastrophic narratives about teen sex, right? Yeah. Like suddenly teen sex is not a bad idea that could throw your life off track. It could kill you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think that's where we see a significant change into the 90s. And and I think teen culture gets really chased in the 90s. We stop seeing those kinds of stories and we start seeing a lot more of the sort of romance triangles where mm. you never actually have to consummate anything because you tease out the triangle for so, 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 so long, right?
0: Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. it's <No, that's> fine. <laughs> it's interesting too because I think the stuff about... The AIDS crisis is that they almost go off in two different branches, right? There's the people who refuse to placate the idea that sex isn't happening, don't ever give into it, focus on the romance triangle. And I think that's where we start to see these really strong narratives about sexual assault and rape survivor stories and just a kind of plethora of different types of sexual narratives because It's an acknowledgement that real things do happen to teenagers, and sometimes they're great, and sometimes they're also terrible, and a lot of them have to do with sex.
1: A lot of the terrible ones (laughs) have to do with sex, right?
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) And I'm thinking back to some of the sex scenes that we have read, and it's just interesting. It's a lot of, you have basically two options, it seems like, in YA right now. Well, I shouldn't say way right now because it sounds like you're reading some things that are doing something a little bit more interesting, and a little bit different. But I think it seems like mainstream successful YA books either do a pan away, right, mm-hmm. like a, and then yeah, the sex the black.
0: Right
1: <laughs> Um, or they are like the after mold, right? Just all we're gonna think about is the lead up and how it's gonna change you as a human being.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked
1: in that episode about how damaging that narrative
0: is too, right? Yeah. That example and also Red, White and Royal Blue are really fascinating examples because to a certain extent, they are cultural phenomenons. Like Mm. we hated After, but that series has been incredibly successful. and
1: It's like no one listens to us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, that's true. But they are going ahead with the second film. And I was reading up a little bit on Red, White, and Royal Blue. And it apparently has also been quite a phenomenon in terms of sales, in terms of memes. And I didn't realize, but it has apparently also been optioned to become a film, which I'm very intrigued about. Yeah. But in both cases, these texts... They avoid the classification of YA in part because they're more focused on university students, like the characters in Red, White, and Royal Blue are finishing their university degrees or they're of that age.
1: So it's like a new adult as opposed to a young adult. Yeah,
0: but I would honestly say reading it, it very much adheres to the writing quality and standards that we've seen in most YA. Like I would say that the writing feels on par with John Green and other sort of heavy hitters in the YA spectrum Mm -hmm. but when you read descriptions of them they don't mention young adults they mention you know oh literary phenomenons book sales movie deals and so on and I appreciate yeah new adult we talked about the classifications before in another minisode but to me it's also an arbitrary distinction where they're trying to say well these texts can either have lots of sex or they can avoid the sex and just be very romantic because we don't have a responsibility to educate young adults because they're not YA. Yeah
1: I think that's true and you know sex we talked about this before but sex is often the dividing line between YA and NA right Mm -hmm. so like when you say that you don't see a great deal of difference in the sort of narrative construction let's call it between the two I think that's probably extremely true it's often when I read an N.A. book, what I feel like I'm experiencing is a YA writer who has been unshackled from some assumptions about what YA is allowed to do with sex. Mm-hmm. And I think that I fall into it, too, as a consumer of media, because I was thinking back to our first talk about sex education and how uncomfortable those sex scenes made me, right?
0: Right. Yeah, we talked at length about them.
1: Yeah, because they were a lot. <laughs> <laughs> And yet, in my own defense, I don't love raunch culture of any sort. And I found some of those scenes really bordering on a kind of sort of raunch depiction of sexuality that was just never going to be my cup of tea. Right. But I'm thinking, too, about how much my expectations of the genre are shaped by these same kinds of commercial forces that I like to critique,
0: you know? Mm hmm. Yeah, it's a weird line for us to walk, right? Because part of it is this acknowledgement that we are technically not the designated audience for these properties.
1: Yeah, so they keep telling us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, I think that also undervalues the attempts that a lot of... I think we also have to be realistic. Part of the reason that YA has thrived recently is because they are tapping or trying to tap into the nostalgia that adults have for certain periods in their life, and they are marketing to us. Mm -hmm. So I'm very intrigued by this idea that these texts have a responsibility, and my own reactions, it's like I can't seem to put a finger on if they need to be... Frank and maybe a little bit raunchy if it makes the case for education and helping teenagers, or if it's kind of like, "Mm, no, that makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) And (laughs) I don't want that, get that out of my YA. So I recognize that I'm a bit of a hypocrite.
1: (laughs) I mean, but both are true, right? They make me uncomfortable. And also, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Right. I've been thinking back a lot to books I read as a teenager that were very frank about sexuality. I read a lot of Aiden Chambers books when I was a, a kid and Aiden Chambers is like um I assume he's still alive. He's a British writer of very much young adult novels but primarily about gay men, young men coming of age, on yeah. queerness more broadly conceived. And he had this book called The Toll Booth that was about these disaffected youth who were working in a toll booth. Okay. Like one of those toll booths that you basically have to like it's so far away, it has a little like living quarters attached to it. And I think oh, one wow. of them works there and the other two are either runaways or they spend a lot of time away from home. It's been a long time since I've read this book. And I think I must have lent it to somebody because I have all my other in-chambers books, but I don't have that one.
0: <laughs> okay. And
1: there's this, um there's a love triangle that emerges between, there's a central character who's a boy and there's another boy who I think is the one who actually works at the toll booth. And then there's a young woman. And there's, like, this love triangle that emerges between the three of them. And increasingly, the protagonist feels like he's being left out of a very traditional love story that's emerging between these other two characters, but he's still involved in a sexual relationship with the other young man.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And it was like...
0: Eye-opening? I was so (laughs)
1: eye-opening. I read that book so many times. And it was, all of his books are these sort of teenagers who are kind of left at sea for all kinds of different circumstantial reasons. And he's definitely, um, writes almost exclusively about very working class British gay men, basically.
0: Hmm, okay.
1: But I just remember feeling like the first time I read that book, I had happened upon something I wasn't supposed to have. (laughs) Mm. And there's a power that literature offers when it does that for young people, right? Right. It provides this other way of looking at the world. And I wasn't a particularly sheltered kid. Like, my mom's best friends were both gay couples. And like, it wasn't like, oh my god, gay people exist kind of like small town, like, well, it was more like desire, like reading Mm -hmm. about desire, and how unwieldy and uncontrollable desire can be. That was mm-hmm. so powerful as a teenager, like, holy crap, because you feel like all of your unwieldy feelings are, you're the only person to ever have yeah. such <laughs> unwieldy feelings, right? No like No one has
0: ever felt what I've felt.
1: Right? And I'm, I'm a weirdo because of it. Like, no one has yes. ever felt it, and it's, it's because I'm broken.
0: Mm-hmm. And these
1: books, which very much were about very broken young people in lots of ways, were just really, I don't know disturbing and upsetting and beautiful and comforting and they were probably Hmm. the most significant books of my teen years just in terms of a different way of seeing how the world could progress and the way sex and desire was described was integral to that right like if it had just been a Suzanne Collins kind of love triangle
0: Hmm. it wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked that way no
1: it wouldn't have had that power and it wouldn't it wouldn't have framed my own experiences of desire In such surprisingly normative ways, right? Right. Yeah. And I think that's what these books, when I think back to the kinds of books like Forever, I think that's what they did so well that maybe... In our quest to have everything be a successful crossover or a potential movie, Mm -hmm. we've lost track of perhaps, and I'm not being like, oh, nostalgia, everything in the 70s was good. Like, I'm not an idiot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, I think we've acknowledged that the way that things are now manufactured as products has changed the way that they are therefore produced, and something has been lost. Yeah, we're not idiots that acknowledge like, oh, everything was so PG Keen back then. And now everything is so safe and normalized. But there's something of like a zhuzh missing from a lot of these contemporary products. And I I feel it when I read them. It feels safe. And I don't know that I like it.
1: It's interesting because that Lizzie Skernick article, I wanted to read this part of it because it echoes exactly what you just said. She says... I wonder if the reason today's young adult fiction feels so sexually airless is that it lacks what made Bloom and her peers seem so dangerous. Their books were physically arousing. In adult mm. books, that trait is often a reliable sign of bad writing. But for teenagers who are still strangers or newcomers to sex, the bonus physical stimulation of something like forever or domestic arrangements can be validating, a way of making pleasure ordinary, appropriate enough to check out of the library. Those books were not afraid to let teenagers know that good
0: sex can also be a good story. Ugh. Amen. Amen to that statement. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that's maybe a good place to leave off because this is not a conversation that has some kind of finality to it. We can't put a pin in it. And also because I kind of want to put it back to listeners. I want to hear what books, either contemporary or old, have maybe embodied some of these characteristics that we've been talking about. Or do you feel like some of these more fantasy romance oriented books are doing a good job?
1: Yeah, I especially want to hear what titles have impacted your thinking about Sex, Love, and Desire. What mm-hmm. YA titles had some kind of impact on you in that way? Or what adult books did you read way too early that had that effect on you? I'm always interested in that right. story, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you feel like sharing it broadly, you can post it to our Twitter hashtag, hashtag HKHSpod. But yeah, I think, Joe, if we collected up some email responses to this, it would definitely be worth revisiting in another mini-sode.
0: I think so, too. Yeah. Email
1: us at hkhspod at gmail.com for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. And Brenna, if they want to get a hold of you and check in on your sanity as you try to cope (laughs) with your social isolation, how would they get a hold of you?
1: Oh, God, I got to tell you, Joe, the social isolation party is great. (laughs) 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 It's everything else. (laughs) Folks can find me on the Twitters at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. I have to confess, there's not a lot of YA lit content there these days. It's mostly long drawn out meditations on educational technologies i can't imagine why <laughs> there's
0: a lot of real life stuff intruding there in my ya like where's my ya brenna This yeah. it's all real life brenna
1: ya brenna hasn't read a word in three weeks that's where ya brenna is
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh joe if they want a twitter feed that's a little bit less boring where can they find you
0: <laughs> <laughs> i am at b store my remote and that is the letter b
1: And next episode, uh, we are looking at the book and the film, The Duff. Am I correct?
0: You are correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So next week, we're back to regular-sode format.
1: Regular-sode.
0: So the book is by Cody Keplinger, and the film is from 2015. As I think I mentioned at the end of I Am Not Okay With This, I'm actually very interested to revisit this property. So I'd seen the movie when it came out in 2015. I'd never read the book. I've now read the book, but I have to revisit the film, and I'm interested to see if it holds up.
1: I'm working my way through the book. Everything is so slow right now, but I'm looking forward to talking about it with you because this this was a massive cultural phenomenon when it came out, and I missed it entirely. 100%. Uh yeah okay so this is
0: all new to you then it's
1: all new to me i'm looking forward to it so yeah uh until oh wait do we sign off on these i can't even remember we haven't recorded in so long joe
0: (laughs) (laughs) we do sign off yes okay
1: well before we do i just want to say to our listeners we're here with you and uh we hope you're keeping well and we're thinking about you and uh reach out for a chat anytime so until next time i will see you on the page maybe
0: (laughs) (laughs) i will see you on the screen definitely (laughs) bye-bye bye